everyone and welcome to episode 565 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. What have you been up to this week? I have been getting ready for next week's launch of our new course, Your Audiobook Advantage. I mean, this course is so fantastic. And it's essential if you want to get your book out there as an audiobook, right? I love audiobooks. And I look at, I used to listen to them a lot because I used to spend a huge amount of time commuting, but um, not so much commuting now, but I do spend a lot of time painting. That's my other career as an artist. I'm often in front of the easel for hours on end and when I'm not listening to, well, The Killers or Bon Jovi, I'm listening to audiobooks. So put it this way, if you're an indie author or considering being an indie author, this is an absolute must because you have to get your story out there as an audiobook. It's another stream of income and another way for people to discover you. The course goes into whether you should narrate it yourself or whether it's better to get a professional narrator and it will show you exactly how to find one, of course. And it's surprisingly not as expensive as you think or in some cases not expensive at all. We go through all the options. Anyway, the course goes into everything you need to know on how to get your audiobook out there. And if you're traditionally published, well, but your publisher doesn't have the rights to the audiobook, I mean, this is a great opportunity for you, right? Because your publisher isn't going to be putting it out there on audiobook. Or if some of your backlist has reverted back to you, then this is also a must because you could be leaving money on the table if your books aren't out there as audiobooks. The course is designed by Sarah Bacala, and she not only narrates and produces audiobooks, she's also an author herself, so she gets it. And that's why I knew she would be the perfect person to teach this course. As I said, it launches next week. So you want to go to writercenter.com.au slash audiobooks with an S at the end to register your interest because then you'll get a notification of when it launches of you'll get the notification of the special price that is only available next week during the launch and the price will never ever ever be that low again so you want to make sure you secure that even if you're just remotely thinking about releasing your own audiobook I mean you'll get access to the course for 12 months that's an entire year so you'll be able to get to it you know when if you're a bit busy right now this is the your chance to secure it so check it out and register your interest at writerscenter.com.au slash audiobooks All right, so we're here with Nat Newman this week because (laughs) Nat is one of our fantastic creative writing tutors and she's here to share her writing tip with us this week. Over to you, Nat. What have you got? Oh, hey, Valerie. Um, So something that comes up a bit in, you might hear it in like writing blogs or, you know, writing courses that you do is the concept of in late and out early. Um, It's a very, very common thing that you hear. Um, I think some people struggle to sort of really get what it means. So in one of my classes a couple of weeks ago, I explained it like going to a party, right? So if you get to a party, you remember parties, Valerie, we used to have those (laughs) (laughs) back in the day. Um, So if you get there early to a party, you'll be standing there by yourself, by the chips and dip. You have to make small talk with your, your auntie. It's kind of boring, right? (laughs) (laughs) You go to the same parties as your auntie? Of course. (laughs) Um, okay. and maybe, maybe I'm, yeah, maybe I'm going to boring parties. 
But anyway, so there you are. You're trying to make small talk and, and you know, you're really just waiting for people to show up. So it's much better to turn up at the party later when it's in full swing, you know, the music's going, uh, you know, the DJ's there, someone spiked the punch, um, <laughs> you know, people at, and that auntie, you know, auntie, auntie Mari, she's actually, you know, dancing on the table at this point. <laughs> much more exciting to be at the party at that point. So that's what we mean by in late. So you want to come to the party a bit late. You don't want to be there at the scene, you know, for all the boring small talk. You just want to get to the juicy part of the party. Mm-hmm. And then same with out early. So, again, mm-hmm. you could hang around at the party until 3 o'clock in the morning when people mm-hmm. are sleeping in the hallway and <laughs> you, have to, you have to help collect all the recycling and put them in the, you know, put all the bottles in the bin. Or you could uh, join your auntie up on the table sing out, you know, belt out your best Adele song, do a <laughs> mic drop and then leave. And then that way you've left a much better impression. So, yeah, so that's that's And all you've had a better time. Exactly. Probably. You haven't had to stand around making small talk, you know, cleaning up, being bored, watching people vomit. No, <laughs> you can just enjoy the best parts of the party. Okay, so I like that analogy, but can you give us maybe an example of a scene where where you might be coming in too early, you start writing the scene too early in the timeline and where should you start writing the scene instead? Yeah, okay. So perhaps uh, you're, you've got two characters and they're meeting for lunch. Um, and I think it's really common to have, you know, they they one turns up at the restaurant, it waits around for a bit, then someone else turns up at the restaurant and then they get their menus and then they They actually text lunch. to say they're going to be 10 minutes late and exactly. they're parking the car. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, the other person's playing Sudoku and, and yes. you know, not, nothing really interesting is happening at that point. It's not really interesting until they've both sat down and perhaps they've got their entrees. You know, that's when, and they actually start talking about whatever it is that, you know, is going to be interesting in that scene. We don't need to see them parking the car or mm. playing their Sudoku or um, you know, or even ordering the entree. Exactly. Unless it's actually important for the scene, unless it progresses mm. the story in some way, just don't need it. You just need to start off with one uh, leaning over conspiratorially to the <laughs> yeah. other and uh, saying, oh, my God, I've got a secret to tell you. Ooh. That's where it should start. Exactly. Yes. The juicy okay. part. So how about out early in the scenario with the Sudoku and the restaurant and the Sydney parking? <laughs> um, well, where, where, when would be out early and when would be overstaying your welcome? Yeah. So you probably want to finish the, you know, right when the interesting part of the conversation ends, uh, you know, perhaps when the secret is revealed or, um, you know, something like that. But you don't need to be there while they figure out, okay, um, you had the salad, but I had the boccancini. Um <laughs> So I think mine is $37 and yours should be $45. Oh, except you had an extra glass of wine. We don't need to see that. (laughs) You don't need to hear that. I mean, you don't need to write about them calling the Uber, complaining (laughs) that the Uber is 15 minutes away and all of the rest. So you might end, say, let's say it's um, Sally and Melissa. Mm -hmm. So uh, it might be Sally as the one who initially leant over to say, I've got a secret to tell you. And then the scene is her telling this secret and you might end with something with Melissa um, uh, with the final thing in the scene being Melissa saying well I've got a bigger secret to tell you and then end end scene yeah so that the reader wants to keep reading on right 
Oh, well, that that would be then be ending on a cliffhanger, I suppose. So I guess yeah, it depends you if you. That. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it depends <laughs> if you're going to pick that up again later, or if you're then going to flash back to that because you can't leave your readers not knowing what that secret is. Yes. Oh, well, yeah, of course not. I mean, you'd mm. have to put it in the next chapter or in, exactly. in an ensuing chapter. All right. Yep. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for this week's writing tip. In no late and out early when you write your scenes. Yes. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. I'm moving on to this week's competition. This is awesome. Oh, you've probably seen her on TV, but actor Pia Miranda has also written a memoir. Of course, Pia Miranda just sort of went into the consciousness of the entire nation when she played Josie in um, Looking for Alla Brandy, which, you know, so many people have seen. Uh, But yes, she has now written a memoir called Finding My Bella Vita. It's out now. And I have three copies to give away. Pia takes us on a ride filled with humour, family, fame and good food. Here's the blurb. For years, Pia Miranda has been stopped in the street by calls of found you, forever linked to that character we all loved, Josie from Looking for Alla Brandy. But playing Josie is only one small part of everything that has shaped the woman Pia has become. As a child, her nonna would tell her stories of the small volcanic island of Sicily she called home. Cannoli, curses and lighting a candle at church were as much a part of Pia's childhood as mouse plagues, her Aussie nana's lemon slice and cheering on South Melbourne at the footy with her grandfather. After chasing a childhood dream to become a ballet dancer, with a backup plan of becoming a nun, she was cruelly shamed out of her leotard and into a new dream, acting. The rollercoaster ride of fame would see her travel the world and narrowly avoid a sky-high Me Too moment. But after fame comes real life. Work stress, career questions, money worries, relationship and heartbreak, love and marriage, illness and grief. Having grown up pinballing between her very Italian side and her very Australian side while trying to carve out a space all her own, Pia didn't realise how the push and pull of tradition had made her world all the richer. Finally, setting foot on Volcano to reconnect with her roots, Pia understands how all the parts of herself have made her the true survivor she is. Like her nonna told her, every day on top of the earth is a good day. Finding My Bella Vita is a charming, honest and uplifting memoir full of heart and humour that reminds us all of the two things that matter most, love and family. A good cannoli and some Vegemite toast also rate pretty highly. (laughs) 
All right, I have three copies to give away of Finding My Bella Vita. Just go to writercentercomau slash win and follow the instructions for your chance to enter and win. Entries close on the 9th of October. That's writercentercomau slash win. And if you're listening to this podcast in the future because you're in a DeLorean or something, then still go to that URL because there'll be some other fantastic competition there for you to enter. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? I hope you are because here it is. It's horizon. So O-R-I-S-O-N, horizon. Now it sounds like you're saying horizon incorrectly, but it's got nothing to do with horizon, you know, the line in the distance as far as the eye can see. And horizon is actually a prayer. It's a direct synonym for prayer, and they can be used interchangeably, actually. So, horizon is also related to the word oration, uh, as in speech. Makes sense, right? There you go, horizon. And that was the word of the week. So, now let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Today, I'm talking to Kate Gray, whose latest novel is the psychological thriller, The Honeymoon. This is a departure from her previous six novels, which are more feel-good stories written under the name of Katie Collins. The Honeymoon was inspired by a nightmare that Kate had and resulted in a six-figure book deal. Thanks so much for joining us today, Kate. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I am so excited about your book, The Honeymoon. There are so many things I want to ask you about it. I mean, it is, it's just gripping. Um, But before we start unpacking your writing process with the book, can you tell us what it's about? So The Honeymoon is about these two couples who are in this beautiful Lux resort in Bali and they meet on the last night of their honeymoon and they are involved in what's quite a gruesome and mysterious death of a stranger. They then return home to their lives back in back in England and they have this huge secret that they have to live with and it's how they start their married life, whether they can trust one another kind of, you know, till death do us part, how, how, how much you'd take your vows seriously when you've got this enormous secret and how far you'd go to kind of keep it uh, under wraps. And I understand that this came to you in a dream. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably say more of a nightmare. It was quite terrifying. Um, so this was in lockdown and I've written six other novels under another name, Katie Collins, and she writes feel good, uplifting reads. She's a lot nicer than Kate Gray. Um, and I was trying to think of the next novel for her. And I just was really struggling as you know, you remember yourself, it was such a, a difficult time. I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old at home. We lived in a very small house and it was crazy. Um, so I think that obviously, understandably, the creative process was kind of dampened somewhat by by everything going on externally. And one night I had a nightmare and I was on this sandy beach, stunning sandy beach, and there was blood all over my hands and the police were coming after me. But I knew that I wasn't responsible. I didn't do it. But I didn't know how I was going to explain it to them in a different language with the death penalty kind of over there and um, and it was just terrifying, the, the thought of losing my freedom, of, of my family and everything else. So, so yeah, I woke up and I thought, well, imagine if that happened on the last night of your honeymoon. Imagine if you didn't really know your husband or your partner very well. 
Um, and I just suddenly started writing and it was the first time in months that I had that desire to write again. And for me, writing has always been an escapism kind of through all the problems I've had in my life. I've always gone to write and that's kind of been my, my happy place. So to feel that excitement again and wanting to open my laptop and I just shut myself off from my family. My husband was very supportive, luckily. And I wrote really early in the morning and worked really late at night. And I had a finished first draft in about two months time. So it was uh, it was super, super fast. <laughs> I mean, two months is extraordinary. And I'm going to come back to this novel, but I'd love to give uh, people an idea of your backstory, which I just think is utterly fascinating. Now, as you mentioned, you've already written six novels, but they're very different novels. They're, they're mm. women's fiction. They feel good, quite different. But before that, please do um, tell us about how about your story because I understand that you first started a travel blog called Not Wed or Dead. Now, tell us about the genesis of that travel blog. Yeah, so so like I said, for me, writing has always been my place that I go to. I feel very comfortable. I love books and reading and everything. So Not Wed or Dead started, this is going about 10 years ago, probably now, um, when blogging was, you know, really big. And I started this blog because I went traveling. I was jilted by my fiance at the time. And I sold my house, quit my job, sold everything I owned. And the rest I just put in a massive backpack and I went on a solo backpacking adventure. Um, and the first place I went to was Bangkok. And <clears throat> I did a kind of tour of Southeast Asia, Australia, then India, uh, South America, and all by myself. And it was just incredible. Um, but I wanted to let people back home know that I was safe and that I was fine because I'd never done anything like this before. It was really out of character for me. And I think it was just one of those moments that, that we all have in our lives when things don't go a certain way that you expect so you kind of have to pivot and and try something new and yeah not be scared of kind of the unknown I guess so I really just jumped in feet first and um but my family back at home in England were a bit concerned that I might be I might be struggling because this was so out of character so luckily through the blog I was able to kind of keep them updated with what I was doing and then I realized that not just my family were reading and following and commenting it was other people who have kind of suffered heartbreak and or been jilted or just kind of just weren't really happy with their life and wanted to make a big quite dramatic change and see the world um and it kind of had its own following and from that it helped me kind of get my very first book deal when uh, I was writing women's fiction and so just to give people some context when you say you were jilted uh I mean the wedding was already booked right it was only weeks out of the wedding things were paid for and um uh and then you basically split up that's correct right yeah 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 so it was a big a big lovely English countryside wedding um and yeah for me it was very sudden very unexpected news um but the money had I don't think they didn't class cold feet kind of <laughs> was how they termed um yeah so that 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 all ended and then I just decided to to make something new and exciting from, from yes. this kind of so you go off on this fantastic adventure. You have this um, travel blog where you are able to write and travel. Um, how did it lead to your first book deal? So I wrote, then I lived in France for a couple of years. And when I was in France, I had, I had a lot of spare time. I was teaching English, but I did have a lot of spare time. And I, like I said, I just love writing. And I've seen a couple of writing competitions and it was write your first three chapters. And 
and I basically you know they also say write what you know so for me very much my debut novel um, which was called Destination Thailand which is part of the Lonely Hearts Travel Club series which is a different novel and different destination but with the same kind of group of characters um, and the main character George Green is jilted she goes off on her adventures and kind of learns to find herself um, so it was very much inspired by my own my own experiences um, and yet there was at the time you could submit without having an agent to this like quite a, um, a subsection of HarperCollins um, and I got picked up for a three book um, ebook deal. Right. So you then you wrote um, uh, so you wrote six books in this kind of genre, and then you were like, was that always the plan to write in this genre and to write books? Like, was that always the plan, or or were you planning on doing something else? It was always the dream to write a novel. Um, and when I wrote them, the first one. Um, and I just loved it and I loved the experience. And I kind of then really looked into the craft of it and how you know they were all structured. And I found it such a fascinating insight into like films and TV. So I just think how, yeah, the craft of novel writing really, really interests me. So then I wanted to learn more. I wanted to read more and, um, and keep on writing. So those three, the first three that were an ebook kind of only deal, then my story about being this jilted bride is kind of backpacking Bridget Jones is what the media termed, put, put the term on me. Um, and it kind of went viral. And because of that, um, my publishers very kindly then put me into paperback and I got translated in different languages and it just went absolutely crazy. And But one of the best parts of this story that, that I love the most is the fact that the the journalist who kind of broke my story with the world is now my husband. <laughs> so... <laughs> we have two beautiful children together and um yeah and it feel, it did feel like I was in a, a crazy movie at times um but those six women's fiction that so there's four that were kind of very much travel-y backpacky themed and then my life changed um becoming a mother and sadly losing my dad um quite a young age and I just felt like my experiences and outlooks on things had changed I wasn't that girl that was on the sandy beach carefree um, I had a lot more responsibilities and I was dealing with grief and motherhood and a lot of more uh, deeper issues, I guess. So my latter two novels as Casey Collins were, were kind of a bit more, a bit more they were uplifting reads, but they kind of dealt with heavier subjects. Um, so I think maybe that was why in, in lockdown when I was really struggling with what my next book would be, because I, the, they, those books take a lot of me, if you understand. So it, I really kind of pour myself and my emotions and my experiences. And I do a lot of research and I'm really proud of those books, but at the same time, I find them very draining um, because so much of me and my experiences are in those stories. So I think I do go to read thrillers as my go-to genre of when I want to break from that kind of heavier issues. And, um, and I love getting wrapped up, especially in psychological thrillers where it's very fast paced, it's lots of different characters or all these different clues and red herrings you have to follow. I really enjoy those sort of books. But I never thought I'd be able to write one because I thought they would be too challenging. Um, but as it happened, because of this nightmare, I just then realised that I could write the sort of book that I love to read. So it didn't have to be, you know, how Agatha Christie may have wrote it, obviously, but it had to be what I would enjoy. And it was relatable characters in situations where normal everyday people could find themselves in. Um, and then you kind of the reader then is asking themselves, what would I do in that situation? And that's the sort of books that I that thrillery feel of it could happen to me and how terrifying that might be kind of that. That's what I like to read. 
So after your sixth book and you were thinking, oh, what do I write for my seventh? Were you planning on writing a Katie Collins feel good type thing or, or were you searching, were you happy to write whatever uh, you were inspired to do? No, I was definitely writing another Katie Collins. Um, I had an idea in mind and I was doing a lot of research. And again, it was quite heavy um, issues in this book. Um, and it just wasn't working. I did draft after draft, after draft, probably 18 months working on this book. And I kind of could blame the pandemic and that kind of creative, you know, setting. But um, but maybe the story just wasn't right. And so when I had this nightmare about this, this murder on this honeymoon, um, and I felt excited. I wanted to be at my laptop. And I feel like that really goes through the words. I think readers can pick up when you're slogging away at a chapter while you're really trying to you know, dig deep to get it to tell the story. And when you're invested and excited by the tale, I think that that does come across. So, um, so no, I emailed my agent and I literally said, I've had this idea and it's a thriller. And what do you think? And she's like, I love it. Go for it. Let's see. You know, I think she was just happy that I was not emailing. Going, ah, I can't do this. She was she was pleased to hear that I was excited again. Um, and then, yeah, within two months, we had a first draft, uh, a messy first draft, but it was nonetheless a, a first draft. And she emailed me back. And I remember going on my daily walk as we were allowed back then. And I had an email from her and she said, I think this was the book you, you were supposed to write. I think this is a genre that, that suits you. And um, and because maybe because I had read so many psychological thrillers and, and mysteries and that sort of thing, somehow it all gone in and um, and came out through, through the writing. And I'm assuming that you've written this under Kate Gray, you know, because it is a completely different genre and so that people don't get confused. So it, with Katie Collins, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think if you like my Kate Collins books, then you're going to enjoy this because my writing, you know, is my kind of my voice and all that sort of thing. But if you pick up this expecting a Katie Collins book, you it would there'd be a lot more murder and death and <laughs> yeah, a little bit more sinister than uh, Kate Collins is like I said, a lot more feel-good and, and nice, happier endings. Um so so yeah, so that's why we decided to kind of have it have a different, a different name change. Um, and it's also been good for me because there has been another persona. Um, and enable me to kind of go into the crime industry. I've been doing lots of events with other crime authors. Um, and I feel like if I went as Katie Collins, it would be it would be quite different. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm enjoying having this whole new person to kind of explore. I'm astounded that it came out in two months. Please talk me through that because that is un unbelievable. I mean, obviously I believe you, but how <laughs> were you wanting to write it in a very short period of time and how much and why do you think it came out so quickly do you know what I think the truth is I had so much imposter syndrome I had these voices in my head telling me you can't do this you spent 18 months writing another one that didn't go anywhere you're never going to write like honestly we are all our own worst self-critics but for me I really felt I had to write faster than those voices would speak to me so I could ignore them and, and I could literally tell them to shut up I mean I, I at the top of my voice I would I mean luckily my neighbors you know they're quite elderly they didn't hear me but um but I felt I had to just write fast and forget that and just enjoy the process because I hadn't been enjoying the, the previous books that I'd been slaving over um so I had a start I had this scene of this these two women who were going to meet on next to their took sun lounges next to each other by this beautiful poolside and that simple decision kind of would change the course of both their lives 
which I really like those kind of sliding door moments of, you know, what if I you know, should not come to the pool that day? Or, um, so I knew that and I knew the ending, but the middle section, I didn't really have a clue. And a lot of it did change. Um, so originally it was set in Barbados, which is another country that I really adore. But we decided, my agent and I decided that in Bali, it would be the, the, more of a language um, issue and they had the death penalty. So it's just rise, uh, raising those stakes, you know, pulling those tension that we need in a thriller. Um, but I, yeah, the voices came to me very quickly. And I don't know if that's because I've written six of the novels, uh, battling to write seven of the novels. So with my women's fiction kind of skills and the things that I'd learned about character development and how to show, don't tell, and all those things, I had a good understanding and a good knowledge. So I wasn't starting from, from scratch, as it were. Um, and I got I got it very early. I, you know, I, this is my job. My um, I worked very late in the evenings. I worked seven days a week. Um, my children were young enough that they still had naps. So I just kind of, I wrote on my phone. It was just one of them. I just made it work because I wanted to have that speed of pace for readers as they kind of get lost in it. I like short, snappy chapters. I like that kind of just one more, keep going, keep going. And I think that propulsive way of reading is how I like to write. And that kept me going. It was like a motor kind of keeping me how going. How many hours a day do you think you wrote over the two months? Oh, my gosh. Well, I definitely did probably two in the morning before the house even woke up, four in the evening, then during snips in the day, yeah, probably about 10, 10 hours a day, I reckon, here wow. or there. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it's it comes out seamlessly. And the thing that is striking about it that I marveled at is that um, – uh, after the well inciting incident, you know, which you've already told us, I mean, the, the, the a body is found, um, so that's not a spoiler. Um, the tension just gets tighter and tighter and tighter with every chapter, and um, but it's not, you know, planes blowing up or or or, <laughs> or things like that. It's normal people going through their everyday life, but the tension just gets ratcheted up every single page and I think it's and that's the thing that keeps you obviously keeps the reader turning the page what did you consciously do to increase it's literally this tight of this rope get that gets tighter and tighter every chapter what did you consciously do to make that happen oh thank you that's lovely to hear um I just I think I looked I very much made it character based so I looked at my characters and like you said there is not kind of explosions and things going on and so the plot for me that's like an extra but it was more that psychological what would you do what would I do what was the next thing what what sets that kind of your hairs on the, like the back of your neck standing up those tiny little things when you know something's not right it's like when you walk into a room and something feels out of place or that you can sense there's someone moving behind you but you can't quite see them and it's those little tiny details that we all have and that kind of gut instinct that when we know something's not right but sometimes we don't listen to it um so yeah it, I'm afraid I don't have a really detailed answer for that <laughs> went off I knew my characters really well um they appeared to me very easily which was very good um and it was there's a, a small kind of cast of characters as well so I could really deep dive into them and then it was also revealing their layers I guess 
you know and that I really like when you meet somebody for the first time and you have an impression of them and then the longer you spend with them or behind closed doors exactly what they're really like um and that's like layer by layer they kind of show the true colors um and I find that fascinating um kind of a psychological impact as well but but yeah I think that's what happens it's a slow it's I, I don't I wouldn't say it was a slow burn of a novel because it's it is fast paced but that like you said that tension builds and builds in in quite subtle ways I guess mm. because it's not loading planes and you know all that's going on <laughs> when you say that you knew you knew what you knew the start and you knew the ending um, but then you didn't know what happened in the middle. So obviously I assume you just started writing to see what would unfold, but at, at, did at some point you kind of know, oh, okay, I know how we're going to get, I know the runway to the end kind of thing. Or were you guessing yourself until, or discovering yourself until you got to the end? I was very much discovering and enjoying and playing with it and having fun and not putting pressure on myself. And, and I think because of that, because I hadn't, it wasn't under contract and Kate, you know, Kate Gray didn't exist. And so I thought, well, if it doesn't happen, doesn't, you know, this never, this is just a, a passion project. It's just a hobby. This is a fun thing that gets my creative juices flowing, gets me, you know, out of my headspace with the pandemic and away from my children for a little bit <laughs> so I can have some thinking time, then, then that's great. And I think that kind of lack of pressure helped massively um, to just play around and think, okay, well, maybe they'll do this or maybe this scene would work. And I very much wanted to, to see it as if it was a film or a TV mm, series. Absolutely, you can say that. Yeah, and I think that really helps. So hopefully, you know, one day it might become a TV series or a mm. film. And I think that helps with writing to picture it and like, make it dramatic in those senses of how it would appear on a screen. What would we need? So you're not so stuck in the characters' heads all the time because it can be a bit monologue if you kind of get to that stage. So there needs to be action going on. Like we said, it doesn't have to be dramatic action, but enough like tensiony atmosphere action that you that you're uneasy I guess um so yeah so I wrote um probably the first third and then I took a step back and I kind of thought okay well maybe this might be happen this might happen and made a couple of notes then I went back into it and plowed on again but it wasn't really until I had a finished document of about 80,000 words which I then put on my kindle um and kind of read as if I was a reader that then I things started jumping out at me and I thought oh okay well I need to tighten that and that wouldn't just happen and how do I get them from A to B and you know those sort of detail things and then also I have a brilliant agent um so she read a very an early draft um and she gave some fantastic feedback um so it's just it was just like that really I think just just constantly polishing it and and make, hoping that it would it would shine so you write your in very intensively for your two months and you end up you know with this great manuscript and um, did your agent then take it to a number of publishers? I understand you had like four publishers hanging out for it. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, so I, so I, like, it's quite neat actually. I had the idea on the 15th of July, this nightmare, and literally started writing the next day. 
I had a finished manuscript on the 15th of September, so that's our two months. And then it went to auction on the 15th of November. So we had then two months from September to November when we edited my, my agent and I. And again, that was a really fast paced, didn't come up for air. I went away, lockdown restrictions had lifted. So you were able to kind of go away in a bubble of people in England. So I went away on a writing retreat and I was able to kind of work really solidly um, and get my head down and I, I edited really fast. Um, and then the 15th of November, it went to auction. So there were different publishing houses interested and they went to best and final bids, which was so exciting. Um, and I got to kind of speak to the different teams and see you know, who might be a nice fit. And I went with, with Welbeck. Um, I just love their passion and their professionalism and their insights. And um, yeah, I was just blown away by by what they they could see of this book and of Kate Gray and kind of the, the next novel as well, which is is it's a standalone, it's a separate kind of story, but but um, it's a two book deal that I got, so I kind of had to pitch that, and they like, oh, we like that one as well, and um, so yeah, so that was it was just a whirlwind. By the end of that year, I'd had I had a new contract, I had a name, I had a a purpose again, and. And it wasn't my women's fiction. And so I would never have believed that could have happened. Um, but I do want to say that the two months thing has never happened again. It never happened before. <laughs> Not my normal. I don't want haters out there. The next book that I have been writing has been a bit of a pig of a book and I have been tearing my hair out with it. Um, so sadly, it didn't, it hasn't kind of, you know, carried on like that with, as much as I would have loved it to. <laughs> you need to have another dream or yeah. another nightmare. <laughs> now, so all of that's happened. This is, you know, a fantastic read. Um, and Kate Gray's a thing now. So have you changed lanes, like, uh, permanently? I think, well, I don't say permanently. I kind of said Katie Collins is having a rest. She's very tired, <laughs> worked hard. So she's there, but she's, at the moment, I haven't had any ideas for her. And I'm very, very much enjoying the crime world and just immersing myself in murder mysteries and whodunits and, and planting those clues and those red herrings. And like I said, learning this other craft, I feel like my character development I'm, I, and the plot of a story and the structure, I completely understand now. Now I'm, I'm currently on my eighth novel. However, in the genre, there's also kind of subsections and rules and things to learn. So I'm really enjoying researching that and learning that. And um, my next novel, which um, my next Kate Gray novel, which I think will be out next summer, is very different to The Honeymoon. So it's more of a locked room situation. It happens over the course of just 24 hours with one select group of people. And obviously not all of them survive. It's, and, and it's an incredible location in England. Um, and so that very much was, it was like getting a Cluedo board of, you know, pieces and working out who would hear and see and learn. And, and this, it was so claustrophobic, the characters, that it has been an editing nightmare. <laughs> so this is a lot longer than two months to get this one together. Um, but I'm enjoying it, you know, I'm enjoying kind of challenging myself and, and learning all these new things. Um, yeah, it's been really exciting. Apart from obviously, yes, understanding the rules of the genre and expectations of readers of that genre, do you, as Katie Collins and as Kate Gray, do you need to get into a different headspace or or does it feel different when you're writing as those two people? Um, I mean, I haven't written as Katie Collins since I've been Kate Gray. Um, so but, you I know, cast your mind back to what it was like. Yeah. Does it feel yeah. different? It does because I feel like you said the rules of the genre kind of 
tells you what to how to do it so I I wanted this one to be sharp fast quick but but and that was a real decision conscious decision to make it like that whereas Katie Collins she's got more time to play with words and and just have a bit more fun and a bit more relaxed and chapters could be different lengths and so that was a bit more a bit more relaxed I guess I think Kate Gray is a lot more focused and right come on let's tell the story as quickly as possible because also I'm quite I don't know about you but I don't have a very big attention span I think growing up with you know social media and Netflix it's like quick like get to the point um recently my husband and I have been watching some 90s movies I think it was Air Force One we watched recently was shown on the t- and it took so long to get to the point and the intro the credit opening credits was about 10 minutes and it was like oh my gosh this generation just doesn't have time for that anymore we had you know with TikTok and everything it's straight to the point but actually I think I'm I'm I think having young children and trying to juggle everything I don't have time to waste and my attention span is limited so personally I enjoy the books that are like right let's get in let's tell you this story enjoy it come along for this ride it's going to be short and snappy and you're going to hold your breath and then you'll get off at the end and be like wow and that's what I'm enjoying whereas I think Katie Collins was a much more let's hold hands and let's go through together and, <laughs> and I need to emphasize to uh listeners and readers that the book itself is not short it, it's it's the no. it's the pace of it it's 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 that's what keeps you turning the pages as well isn't it I think it's not just the character development it's the fact that new things happen all the time that ratchet up that that tension um yeah. In terms of your personal brain space and what you consume now, do you consume darker materials than before in order to, you know, immerse yourself in this genre? I do. However, I'm very conscious about kind of magpieing and stealing ideas. And even if it's completely subconsciously, I'm worried that if I'm reading a lot of thrillers back to back, that something will go in and then it will come out my own writing. So when I'm on first draft, I tend not to read anything. I'm just very much, I haven't got time. My brain space is so involved in this world and my characters. I don't, I can't take anything else on. However, I'm currently on holiday. So I'm now reading a lot again. I'm having a bit of a break from, from the, from my second novel was Kate Gray. So I've have, but then saying that I have read two thrillers, already this week um so I think I've got I have got a bit of an addiction um but because I'm not writing I'm not I'm I'm sure it's not gonna you know affect affect me but um yeah I do like darker stuff and true crime and all that sort of stuff however there is a time when I feel like if I've binged it too much I then need a happier more uplifting women's fiction kind of palate cleanser I guess so now that you are in the middle of, well, or you're editing your your eighth novel, you're, you're working on your eighth novel. I mean, you're very experienced as an author now. So can we leave with what are your top three writing tips for people who are listening and they would love to be in a position where you are one day, you know, having their eight, writing their eighth novel? What are your top three writing tips for them? I think it's a lot to do with mental kind of space. And like I said to you, kind of writing The Honeymoon was very much, I had to outrun those imposter voices. I think we've all got that inner self-critic, which can paralyze us. Honestly, I do worry about that kind of, you know, writer's block and that sort of thing. It's such a mental problem that, that a lot of writers face and that perseverance, you know, it is, it's a marathon. It's, it's a, not a sprint. It's a very long 
usually a long process, but it's a lot of words, a lot of dedication that you're about to pour yourself into. So you have to be really sure that you enjoy your characters, enjoy your story and want to spend so much time with it. So, for example, the last one I've been writing has been almost a year with the same group of characters and the story. And once you've edited it and read it thousands of times, you're so sick of it by the end. So you have to be confident enough that you're able to kind of go along this journey. So I think perseverance, kind of forgetting the self-critic. I leave my phone outside my room when I'm writing. I turn off all the notifications and for an hour or even a half an hour blast kind of sprint, I forget everything else. I think that's quite important to kind of set yourself rules. So I'm going to, like little mini targets, I think, to get it done. Otherwise you'll you'll put it off or there's, you know, there's always chores to do or other things that will get in the way. But if you want to be an author or a writer, then you have to be dedicated, you have to have perseverance and patience, um, but you also have to get your bum in the seat, turn everything else off, forget, and just kind of focus as much as you can. Um, and reading, reading critically. So I have been known to read, I've got a highlighter pen with me and, and a novel and it's sacrilege, I know, but I will go through and if they're, they're dropping red herrings or how they breadcrumb a, a strand or when there's plot twists, I'll look back and think, oh, okay, how have they then done that? And I will read critically and literally break this book apart to learn from it. Um, and even if it's books that I've read that I haven't enjoyed, I then ask myself, well, why didn't I enjoy that? How could I have done it better? And so it's annoying because then you, you kind of do lose the pleasure of reading quite a lot because it's, it becomes work. Um, but it is the most, like the best, best job in the world. That is great advice. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Kate. Thank you so much. I've had a lovely time. I love talking to Kate. It's always so great to hear from different authors about their author journeys because every single author's journey is indeed different. Uh, I hope you've learned something from um, Kate's experience. Now, if you haven't yet joined the listener community on Facebook, please do. It's free to join. Just go to Facebook and search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. I'd love to see you in there. Um, feel free to connect with me on social media as well. I'm on Instagram at Valerie Koo also on Twitter but not so active there these days is anyone else kind of not really using Twitter as much but I'm often on Instagram and of course I'm on Facebook especially in the podcast community I'd love to connect with you so thank you so much for listening and I look forward to chatting to you again next time thanks for listening to so you want to be a writer you'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.